The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here with you. I hope you're excited too. Uh, If you're new here, let me welcome you. My name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. uh, And I decided today to sport my Victus t-shirt. How many of you guys like my Victus t-shirt? Hey, Victus is something that we started last week. We've got men's groups, we've got women's group, and the first kickoff of Victus, we had over 100 people participate. Uh, and so Victus has been amazing. It's not too late. If you're a dude, this Tuesday, 6.30, make sure you come uh, and check it out right uh, here. We uh, last week kicked off the book of James. And how many of you enjoyed last week? I was really convicted. I was really uh, stretched last week talking about James. But today, it gets even crazier. Are you guys ready for crazy? Okay, well, James, James tells us uh, that we, we're in, a, we're in a, a place of trials. He kicks off uh, by saying, listen, your world, your life is going to have trials. And let me just kind of set the stage for you. But James uh, is the younger brother of Jesus. I don't know if you knew that, but James grew up with Jesus. Do you think that would be good or bad? Probably both, right? Right? I mean, I mean, growing up with, with the Messiah who's always right is really tough. Uh, but James grew up in a blue collar home, a carpenter's home, uh, and, and he began a not so well because he didn't think that Jesus, his brother, was the Lord, was the Messiah. He thought he was a little bit crazy. Anytime your brother or your sibling says, you know, I'm the Messiah, you know they're crazy. Right, And so he grows up thinking Jesus is not right in the head, but later on in life, he starts to realize Jesus is Lord, and he starts worshiping him as Lord. And the main thing that happened to kind of turn that tide, if you will, for James is this understanding that Jesus died on a cross, and then on the third day, he rose again. How many of you know if your sibling raises from the dead, he's God? Right, And so here he is, he raises from the dead, he appears to his brothers, he appears to his family, he appears to more than 500 people, the book of Acts says, and so all of a sudden, here we are, and Jesus ascends into heaven, and James decides the world needs to know about my brother Jesus, and he calls Jesus Lord. And so he starts off with this book talking to the people who've been scattered because of their faith. They've been scattered uh, as Christians. And so the book of James is actually loaded with very practical ways to live out our faith. Because James is kind of the blue-collar scholar, if you will, and he's saying, listen, your faith works. And so our theme throughout the entire book of James is faith works. Look at the person next to you and say, faith works. Now go to the other side and tell them, remind them, faith works. James, he says, listen, you're going to have trials, but the only thing that's going to work through your trials is faith. He says there are going to be hard seasons, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be trials, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be perils, there's going to be pains in your life, but, the, but the, the challenge for us is to keep the faith. He uses this word called steadfast. He says you're going to go through trials. When you do, count it all joy because he says your trials are not meaningless. How many of you guys had been through a trial or a season in your life and you're just saying, I don't understand what's going on. 
Like, I don't, God, I don't know why this is happening. I, I really am not sure what is happening. I don't know how to respond to what is happening. And, and, I, and as I look at it, it's so easy to say, you know what? This whole thing is meaningless. But, but James reminds us, he says, listen, when you go through things in life, it has a purpose. God uses trials in your life to produce something, to produce something unique in you, like a faith base, a steadfastness that would prevail through the trials. And he says, listen, when you go through trials, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. And so because you know that God is at work, you can have joy in your trials. He says, because you know that the testing produces Steadfastness. Steadfastness means standing firm in the faith. It means when you go through things, you have a test, you have an opportunity that God wants to actually level you up. Things get harder before you level up. And he says, I wanna, I wanna do something in you, and namely, I wanna produce steadfastness. I want you to stand firm through the trial. And we talked about last week that the way we endure and stand firm and remain steadfast is by trusting that God is over our trials, by seeing joy in our trials, by gaining wisdom through our trials we become more like Jesus because of our trials. So he says, listen, have joy. Hard times are coming. And God is allowing trials in order to do something in us. And so this week, James tells us that there are some specific kind of trials that lead us unto temptation. Anyone ever been tempted? All right, so there's trials that come. And through those trials, we're going to be tempted to sin against God. Meaning, when we face trials out there, there's more temptation in here. You understand that? And so the temptation is to just simply not let our faith work, but our temptation really, when anxiety hits, stress hits, trials hit, is to actually soothe ourselves. You know what, I'm going through a hard time. I need something that would satisfy me, something that I would kind of get my mind off this thing, something that would kind of distract me. And so what we do, the temptation that James is talking about here is the temptation to trust created things rather than the creator of all things. He says, our temptation comes when we go through trials to try and find a temporary fix rather than trusting the eternal one rather than trusting God himself. And he says, when we say that we have faith in God in our trials, you know what, I'm going through something, but I'm trusting God with it, but yet we doubt that Jesus is the solution, but thinking that Jesus will supply some earthly solution for us, he says, what you're doing is you're doubting God. And you're doubting, and when your faith starts to doubt like that, your world is tossed like waves. He actually says that your faith is shaken every time the wind blows. And so that's what he says about trials. And now in verse 9, he's going to talk about the temptation that comes when we're blown like waves and wind. Verse 9 is where we'll pick it up. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation 
Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, what he's saying is it doesn't matter whether you're rich or lowly, right? It doesn't matter if you have much or have little. And let me just tell you, we have much, amen? Everyone thinks they're poor until they travel. You go to another part of the country, another part of the world, another place, Haiti or something like that, you're like, oh, I'm rich, right? If you have a switch in your house that you can flick and your lights come on, you're doing all right, right? If you can heat your house without chopping down a tree, you're doing pretty good. You know what I'm saying? And so he says, listen, it doesn't matter what you have. He says, trials are coming. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're lowly. The warning is that when you go through trials, your default is to turn to your stuff. Your default is to turn to things around you to somehow try to increase your satisfaction. And so when it comes to trying to find satisfaction or joy or comfort or relief, some of you guys, you're like, I just need relief. When you're looking for relief, you're more tempted to think in that moment that maybe I need more stuff. And so if I could have some more stuff, then I'll have some joy. And right now what's happening is people are experiencing more trials than ever, more anxiety than ever, more stress than ever before. And so to cope with that, we're spending more money to get more stuff, trying to increase our joy. And listen, James is saying, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Many will even try to construct this weird type of theology that says, you know what? Um, God is like this vending machine, and then faith is like the button that I can push so that uh, relief will come out of the bottom. And so maybe if I just had enough faith, God would give me some earthly thing to somehow satisfy this trial or this temptation that's going on. And so, listen, I'm I'm trying to tell you that it's not that things are bad, but James is warning us that things can never fix what's going on. Things cannot fix your anxiety or even transform your future. And what he says here is he says, wealth will fade like the grass. The beauty will fade like your flowers, right? Because what's going to happen is you're going to put all your hope, all your worth, all your value into this stuff. Then June, July, and August comes, and guess what? Everything's dead. No matter how much water you spend to put into that thing, eventually it will fade. So it's trusting in remedies outside of God, which is our temptation. Are you following me? And so when trials come, we're tempted to put our faith in created things rather than the creator of all things. And in the end, James says, listen, it doesn't produce joy and it doesn't produce steadfastness. Faith is the only thing that works. How many of you know that? I mean, you trust that, right? I think when it comes to this concept of of not trusting things, but rather trusting God, we would all say, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds good. So then why do we then constantly, 
run to things like shopping and food or medication or alcohol or sex or video games or social media? Why do we then constantly chase and run and need and want those things. Well, let me tell you why. Because in the front of your brain is this little thing called a dopamine center. And, and you, you hit that dopamine button with a temporary hit or a temporary fix or a temporary thing, and you find temporary relief and temporary pleasure. And how many of you know that feels good? Right? New things feel good, don't they? And so the reason we choose those things is because, well, maybe it'll just get my mind off the trial. And on top of that, we live in an instantaneous world, do we not? Okay, I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine you're in the Old West and you want a pair of shoes. You gotta walk to town, or you gotta find a horse, saddle the horse, and then ride the horse to town. You get to town, and you find the little cobbler shop, and you walk in, and you're like, hey, Mr. Cobbler, I want some shoes. He says, okay, and he measures your foot and sizes you up, and he says, okay, uh, I'll make the shoes, but you don't get them right then. You got to get on the horse, and you got to go back home. Shoes will be ready in about a week or two, right? Week or two goes by. You got to get up on your horse. It's raining today. There's no air conditioning. You can't roll up the window. There's no AC. You go there dusty, sopping wet. You walk into the cobbler and then you pick up your shoes and then you got to saddle your horse and get back home. And so there is this, this, this idea that says that's too long. So imagine today. I've had a bad day. I'm a little stressed. I've had a rough week. So you say, Siri, get me some shoes. She already knows your size. And then she says, you want to put that on the visa? I sure do. And then, like within six hours, Amazon drops a drone on your house and is like, there it is, bam, bam. I don't know how that works. And then you're like, my shoes, I feel better. How many of you know? I feel, I feel better. Listen, we buy things not because you need them or even that you like them, but you're hoping that other people will be impressed by them. Those shoes are fabulous. Where did you get those? Amazon. <laughs> Siri got them for me. So the whole point is not that you're, you're buying stuff, but you're buying attention, right? And, and, and so the temptation is that when you go through a trial, you're saying, what's the quick fix here? Maybe the quick fix is just getting my mind on my phone for a while. Maybe the quick fix is, is some substance. Maybe the quick fix is to check out. Maybe the quick fix is to to purchase something, right? Anything that will make me feel good until what happens is you get the bill. Now you have a new trial, amen? Right? Be because, because we start spending money we don't have for things that we don't need to impress people we don't even know. And then what happens is Sunday comes and you can go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but for some reason, you can't find joy. 
Right? Because, because what happens is, is we've, we've spent the whole week trusted in created things. And then when I stand here and say, don't trust in created things, but rather trust in the creator of all things, you're like, uh, but I need that thing. Because all week I, I've been trusting in this and trusting true or false. Does that not happen? Okay, so we go through trials and James says, we're tempted to say, listen, I need more stuff, I need more money, I need more comfort, I need more pleasure, I need more relief, I need some diversion. And James says, listen, it doesn't work. Faith works. Only faith in Jesus will help you endure and stay steadfast through trials. Look in verse 12. He moves on from stuff to our hearts. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Hey, listen, he says when trials come, not if trials come. You with me on that? Like, like trials are coming. But, but, but he, he goes on and he says, blessed is the one, is the man who remains faithfully steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Everyone say love. Okay, we're coming back to that. Let no one say that he's tempted. Uh, when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured, say lured, here, fishy, fishy, when he's lured and enticed by his own, what? His own desire. Then desire, when it has been conceived, you know how that works, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it grows up, it brings death. What he's saying is that when you're in a trial and under pressure, you're more vulnerable to give in to the temptation. And it's why our world is drinking more and eating more and spending more and online more and shopping more. It's why we're more angry. It's why we have more meds. It's why there's more mental health. It's why more people in 2020 were suicidal. Because the vice is squeezing. And as a result, the flesh is responding. And it's surrendering to sin rather than faith. We reach the point in our lives when the trial is so great, we just need to hit that dopamine button. And it feels good for a moment, but it gets us in trouble. Because what happens is we flirt with sin in that moment. And then we start dating it. And then we start sleeping with it. And then it gives birth. We just need that little quick fix. It's where we get into trouble. So instead of trusting Christ and staying steadfast, listening to the Holy Spirit, and counting it joy when we face trials, instead what we do, the Bible says, is we blame God. You follow the track all the way down and you blame God. Listen, blame is as old as the world. In Genesis 3, there are only two people, right? Adam and Eve. And God tells Adam, he says, look, you guys need to get along 
and you can have anything that you want, but, but this tree right here and the tree in the middle, don't, don't, don't eat of that, right? I mean, everything else is your, this is all my grace, but this, don't eat of that, because if you do, what, what will happen? You'll surely die. You'll die. And so the serpent comes, Satan comes, and he shows up, and he starts to lure them. Hmm, look how tasty that is. Don't you desire that? Mmm, look how delicious that is. He lures them, he entices them, and then they start eating, and everything blows up, and the earth is ruined, right? I mean, everything is fractured. Our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationship with all of creation, everything is fractured. And then God shows up and says, Adam, where are you? And he's like, I'm hiding. I was ashamed. And immediately, what does Adam do? He blames. He says, oh, God, I'm so glad you came back. This chick is crazy. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't read like that, but. He's like, she, I mean, she's defective. And so, I mean, I looked around, and I thought you were supposed to help me. And so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's not only the woman, it's, it's the one that you made. Like, you, you made a defective product here. And, and I was just minding my own business, and then out of the weeds, the snake shows up on social media and tells me what I want to hear and, and says, listen, don't listen to God. What you need to do is you do you. That's Satan's favorite line. Like like someone shows up and says, you do you, and now all of a sudden, I'm the victim. And and so God, if you could could maybe get me a new woman, maybe one that could slay dragons, that would be great. Listen, there's no ownership, no repentance, no no, no, uh, uh, owning of the, the, the trial that you're in. It's just simply blaming. He blames her, he blames God, she blames the serpent. And the point is, everybody's gonna blame somebody. Being steadfast is not about never failing. Steadfastness is not about being perfect. Steadfastness starts with owning our own responsibility before God and repenting for the decisions that we've made and for our sin. And those who love God will remain steadfast in the faith. If you're looking at your external circumstances right now And you're saying, Eric, you know, I see what you're saying, but let me give you the reason why my situation is different. Let me tell you the truth. What happens out here does not determine your response in here. You do. And so we're not responsible for this. We're responsible for this. And so what happens is we need to own up to what we're responsible for. And the lie is always God is not good, not that good, and sin is not that bad. Just do you. Just take a bite. It's fine. We're lied to. The temptation is, well, God's not that good. Sin is not that bad. I can just continue to go the route that I am. But here's the truth. Let me just tell you something. Here's the truth. Sin does two things. It defies God and it kills us. 
So when those temptations come, and they will come, you're going to be lured and enticed by the flesh, by your own desires. But blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial, even though we all have at one time or currently failed the test. Amen? We all at one time or currently have failed the test, but the good news is that Jesus Christ passes every test. Amen? The good news is that Jesus remains totally faithful where we've failed. That Jesus remains totally faithful, totally good, totally just, and because of Jesus, God is gracious to everyone who's ever fallen short. Hallelujah. Amen? And so God does not abandon you in your trials, but rather gives us of himself. He gives you the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he loves you. He genuinely cares about you living a God-honoring life because that's the most joy-filled life. And so God, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit so that you can be saved from you. That's the point of the gospel. Listen, God's not saving you from some situation or some trial or some bad thing. He wants to save you from you. And the scripture tells us that our hearts are wicked and they are more wicked than anything else and that our own desires deceive us and that we're lured into situations and sin because of our own desires. Any good parent gives guidelines and warnings not to constrict freedom, but rather to preserve the life of the child. Amen? You have things that you say, listen, don't do that. Don't go there. Stay with me. Hold my hand. Don't walk this way. I want you to, to have life. If you do that, you're going to die. And so God is a loving father. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we become his children, the Bible says. And so sin doesn't just define our defy our father. Sin, it damages you. And so no one under a trial, no one under temptation who chooses sin makes their situation better. Now, you, you may have a temporary fix, but in the end, the situation is not better. How I many of you say, we've all done this, right? You're like, yeah, I felt pressure in trial, stress and anxiety, I was tempted to satisfy myself. I needed a quick fix. I went to some short-term sinful decision. I sought pleasure and rebellion momentarily, and I sought temporary relief. But then, the Holy Spirit showed up, and the Holy Spirit started to convict me. How many of you know that's not fun? And the Holy Spirit starts to convict me. And as a child of God, I realize he began to speak to me. Not, not you do you, but that's not how, who I made you to be. Sin doesn't make my life better. So I turned from my sin. I trusted Jesus. I let my faith 
actually work. When we give in to sinful, self-seeking, self-comforting decisions over and over and over and over and over again, we create something called a habit. Everyone say habit. There is such thing called habitual sin. It seems like it's something that we're, we're trapped in. And the reason is, is because we've created this neural dopamine loop in our brain that every time a trial comes or stress enters in our life, we choose the sin rather than faith. And it becomes our natural default. Unless, unless you intentionally turn to God and ask the Holy Spirit to create in you a new heart. You turn to the Holy Spirit to create in you new habits. Okay, so listen to me. It's not just stop it. It's create a new habit, a new process, a new heart, a new desire. Listen, I want the Holy Spirit to begin to transform my heart so that my fleshly desires start to be quenched and my heavenly desires start to increase. I need new desires, amen? I need a new heart, which, listen, look at me, listen. It requires you to turn off your phone and turn on your soul. If you're going to start new habits, new ways of living, new faith-driven walks of life so that your faith can work, when trials come, you need to close the Facebook and open God's book. Faith works when you meet with the Lord. And so we need to make it a priority that when trials and temptations come to say, listen, I know God is with me. I know the Holy Spirit is in me. I need to meet with my Father right now. I need to meet with God right now. I need to meet with my Savior right now because I'm going through it. So steadfastness in trials comes from having conversations with God and inviting the Holy Spirit into the trial, into the temptation. And you do the James 1.5 thing where you say, God, give me wisdom. God, help me. God, I need your help. And so when you're in a battle, pick up your Bible. When you are tempted to sin, call your victims brothers. Call your sisters. Let them pray with you. Let them encourage you. Let them build you up. Let them not beat you down, but help you find the conversation that you need to have with God. If you feel trapped in habitual sin and temptation, our challenge with James is to start some new faith-filled habits because there is a temptation that leads to destruction and the Holy Spirit wants to set you free. There's nothing better than you. I think there's a song like that. There's nothing better than you. May the Holy Spirit remind us in the middle of our temptation. It is possible for the children of God with the Spirit of God 
to walk outside of that brokenness and into life in the Spirit. Listen, it's not a sin to be tempted. Some of you need to hear that. It's not a sin to be tempted. What happens for some of you, as soon as you're tempted, the enemy whispers in your ear and he says, I can't believe you're thinking about that. So disgusting. I I can't believe that you're even tempted by that. I can't believe that you even have that desire. And immediately we feel defeated. It's not a sin to be tempted. The truth is, is that there's a difference between temptation and sin. Let me ask you, did Jesus ever sin? No. Was Jesus ever tempted? All the time. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. So the temptation and sin are not the same thing. So Jesus was tempted, Jesus was tested, but Jesus passed every test, everyone that we cannot pass. So when you're tempted, listen, it's not a sin, but by the Spirit, we are to say yes to the Lord and no to the sin. We say, Lord, I I know your word, I know your Spirit is in me, you're convicting me, you're leading me not into this temptation, but leading me out of the temptation, so I'm going to let my faith work right now, and I'm going to trust that you're going to get me through it, not out of it, not around it, not over it, but you're going to help get me through it. So how do we say no to sin? Well, he's got one word here, and it's called desire. Everyone say desire. Desire is a powerful word. In the New Testament, the word in the context always talks about the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit. Romans 8, it talks about how if we live by the flesh, we'll die. If we live by the spirit, is life and peace. The flesh versus the spirit. So if you're under a trial and you're feeling the pressure and the desire rises up in you to take this into your own hands and and seek fleshly, worldly, self-coping, self-reliant, self-soothing desires, and the voice of the enemy says, well, you know what, you just, you, you just take the bite, it's not a big deal, it's just a brief moment. In that moment, go to the Holy Spirit and let the faith work. And you ask the Lord, Lord, what are your desires? Lord, what, what, what do you desire for me right now? Because my heart is wicked above all things, and my heart is deceitful, and I have iniquity, which means I have a bent toward going toward my own flesh, but I am a new creation in you, and so I need you to guide me. I need you to counsel me. I need you to be the one that mediates for me so that in this moment, I can trust my faith in you. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, all you have is earthly, fleshly desires. It's why non-Christians don't understand Christians. It's kind of, kind of weird, but they're like, what do you mean? Why don't you do that? It feels so good. Why don't you do those things? I mean, it's so pleasing. I mean, we're adults. I mean, we like it. It's great. I mean, who cares? What's the big deal? Just, just do it. You're crazy for not doing that. No, no, no. There is another way. There is life in the spirit, 
And there's joy in the spirit because those things fade like the grass and the flowers, but Jesus remains forever. If you're a Christian, there's such good news for you. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a new nature. You are a new creation. Listen to me. You are not perfect, but you are new. God's not asking, hey, be perfect. He says, he says you're new, and I'll make you perfect. I'm transforming you. You're in process you are being perfected. And so Jesus gives you a new spirit with new desires, just like a, a newborn child has an appetite for milk. As a newborn believer, we have an appetite for the desires of God. Amen? Like, oh, I, I can't explain it. Like, like, I was not a believer. I became a believer. And then all of a sudden, I'm starting to be transformed. I started to think different. I'm starting to want different. I'm starting to walk different. I I started to talk different. Now that didn't happen overnight. But all of a sudden my desires and my wants are starting to be shifted because now I'm filled with the Spirit and He's leading my thoughts. He's leading my heart. Not my, I don't do it perfectly, but what I'm saying is now there is a transformation over what I want because I truly am born again. So the way that you overcome desires of the flesh is with desires of the Spirit. It's why a sinning Christian is a miserable Christian. Because Galatians says that your flesh and the spirit are at war. Like you're always in a battle. When there's conviction for the spirit, it's because God loves you. Let me say that again. How many of you like conviction? When there's conviction from the Holy Spirit, it's because God loves you. And he's not abandoning you. He's not left you, and he's not walked out on you. He's right there, and he's wooing you and enticing you. Don't take that. Trust me. The Father is looking at you, and he's saying, listen, that's not who you are anymore. Those are not the desires you have anymore. That's not who you're going to be when I'm done with you. So let's be done with this and let your faith work. Receive Jesus Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit and allow him to change your desires. Let your faith work through the Spirit, no longer living and walking by the desires of the flesh, but now living and walking by the desires of the Spirit, which lead to life. So if you're feeling, you know what, I'm in temptation, you go to the Holy Spirit and you say, give me a new desire. And then by the Spirit, you cast out the old desire. Paul would say that you put on the new self, you put to death the old self, and start living in freedom of the new self. And so in that process, the Scripture is going to say that is how we remain steadfast. That's the point. Steadfastness. How do we know if we're remaining steadfast? It says that God gives the promised crown to those who love him. He's connecting steadfastness with the love of God. Maybe you're here tonight, this morning, and you just feel like you failed. 
Maybe you're here and you've given into temptation more than you care to admit. Maybe you felt conviction of the Spirit. The question I want you to ask, do you love God? Do you love Christ? Listen, we sin because we love it. Do we love God more than sin? Do you love Jesus? Because if you love Jesus, don't quit. Don't give up fighting the good fight. Because love urges you to fight to the end. Listen, Jesus never gives up on loving us. God loved us first. Jesus came to save us when we were at our worst. The scripture literally calls us enemies of God. The scripture says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were dead in our sins, while we were sinners, while we were running from God, he loved us, he gave himself up for us, and he died for us. Love never fails us. The love of Christ constantly pursues us and his love will remain through your worst moment. Through your failures, through your flaws, through all your temptations. And so when trials and temptations come, he says the same way that you can give birth to life, you can give in and give birth to death. You meet the temptation, you flirt with it, you date with it, you sleep with it, it gets you pregnant, you give birth to it, and it grows up and it kills you. Blessed is the one who remain steadfast in their love for Jesus Christ. Your blessing is not your stuff. Your blessing is not your, in your sin. The blessing is in the spirit. Look at how he closes right here. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Do not. Be deceived, oh, my loved one. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Where he does not stand in shadows due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, let me just say this. You're not a burden. You're beloved. When my kids fail or fall, it's never a burden to pick them up. Because you're beloved. Sometimes we're like, here's my trials. Here's what I'm going through. I failed my test. I've given in to temptation. I've made bad decisions. Listen to me. Faith does not work 
for the love of God. Faith works from the love of God. You are beloved. You are cherished. You are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he made you his very own. And he calls you unto himself. And he asks us to just simply trust him. God's love for you. Listen, God's love for you is not at the finish line of your trial. God's love is at the starting line of it all. And it remains through the entire race. Never turning its back. God's love is not for those who earn it, but rather it's for those who believe in Jesus Christ. He purchased you out of sin and out of death by his blood on the cross. Jesus earned the love of God for us so you don't have to earn it yourself. He's perfect in every way and he clothes you with his righteousness and his goodness so that you don't have to get to some milestone before he'll be pleased with you. He calls you his beloved and he says, I love you so don't be deceived by these other temptations. I want you to be mine. I want you to be with me. I want you to know life. I don't want you to know death. I need you to understand that you are loved by God. You are not a burden. You are beloved. And what he's saying is the love of God is a gift from God. It's a blessing from God. It's hope in Christ. It's joy in trial. It is the beginning. It is the first fruits of what God wants to do in you. Jesus is God. Jesus comes from the Father. Jesus lived the life that you and I cannot live. He died the death that we deserve to die. Jesus raised to life and calls everyone who would believe in him, his beloved, his child, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, if you're tempted, if you're caught in sin, I demonstrate my love for you that while you are at your worst, I don't turn my back on you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, that's exactly why you're here. You're a sinner, you need a Savior, you can't get to God, but God comes to us and his name is Jesus Jesus passed every test. He passed every trial. He died for every sin. He rose to forgive you of your sin, and he ascends into heaven, and he's there right now, ruling and reigning from his throne, and he's preparing a place for you, and he has a crown of life for those who receive him and love him. You turn from your sin, trust Jesus. It is the starting point for resisting all temptation. Let me just close with this as the band comes. You don't have the strength you need to overcome trials and temptations. But Jesus does. You don't have the strength you need to overcome your own trials and temptations. If that was possible, Jesus didn't have to die. 
You need a new power. You need a new spirit. You don't possess the strength. Jesus does. You don't have the wisdom you need to overcome your trials and temptations. Jesus does. You don't have the steadfastness to overcome your trials and your temptations. But guess what? Jesus does. Faith in Jesus works. Let's pray for that. Oh, Lord. Lord, every time we open your word, it humbles us. Every time your word is spoken, taught, read, or remembered, it does something in us. And so today, oh, Lord, Many of us are facing trials. And with those trials comes temptations. Temptations to trust in other things besides you, to look to some fix other than you. Lord, you are the solution. You are the joy giver. You are the steadfastness. You are the faithful. You are the one that our souls and our hearts we need. And so forsake us not today, O oh Lord, but come and send your spirit upon us. May it convict us in ways showing us your love. And may your spirit lead us into repentance and life. That is the work you want to do. That is the work you want to give. That is the heart that we want to receive. And so Holy Spirit, right now, would you come and change us? Give me new desires. Give me new eyes to see, new ears to see, to hear. Give me a new heart that longs and loves the things of God. Jesus, we turn to you and you alone for the forgiveness of sins. We turn to you and you alone for life eternal. We turn to you and you alone for joy in trial, and we turn to you and you alone to help us remain steadfast in a broken, broken world. Jesus, it is your name that we proclaim. It is your name that we receive. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.